You're listening to And hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club for Friday, August the 14th, 2020. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Ju. Hi Marvin. How's it going, Jess? I'm tired. Oh. On multiple levels. <laughs> and also, as always, culture editor Han Nguyen. How's it going, Han? Hi. I am in the Just Jew Tired Asian <laughs> Club. I mean, we are halfway through August. Summer is in full swing. Um, our summer of being indoors and hot in our, our houses. Yes. Um, I was actually out driving today and I saw a giant plume of smoke up in the San Gabriel Mountains. So um, it's about that time. Oh, fire yeah, season. Are, yeah, because, you know, we need more. <laughs> more things to help us. Yeah. Get, I mean, more reasons for us to watch some good pop, you know. Shh, do, do, don't, don't jinx it, guys. <laughs> don't jinx it. <laughs> now you're just playing. You know, you just now you're just asking for it from the universe. <laughs> I mean, what more can the universe take from us this year? Marvin, Marvin, Jess, any updates from um Cafe Deju? Uh not not this week. Um so the irony is that after I spent days nurturing the sourdough starter and then killing it by accident and then nurturing another one. Uh, the company, the bride company that I love is actually coming back. They had a temporary shutdown because of COVID. <laughs> so all that effort and literally like the day I baked my bread, the announcement came back on their Instagram. They're like, we're coming back. You can buy your bread again. And I'm like, well, well, now you was... don't need them. So you should say thanks. Well, but no, now... oh, no, no. Their bread is significantly better than mine. <laughs> just just you. Just you's going to stay humble. She knows where, where her strengths are. And making bread is not one of them. And also, I hate to say it, but you never know. Like they might have some issues. It might be supply and demand things. So, you know, get it while you can. But you have a backup. Exactly. So the sourdough starter is now resting like Godzilla in the bottom of the ocean, waiting to return again one day when it's needed. But. <laughs> So you've you've um, you've abandoned your sourdough children? Is that what you're saying? I, I've put it in temporary custody to the fridge, but mm. I will always be its mother. Uh, and you know, uh, no, the love is conditional, but I uh, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Stay tuned for this riveting sourdough <laughs> updates. Well, I'm very excited because I just picked up a Portuguese egg tart cheesecake from Mr. and Mrs. Creamery uh, in Arcadia. Oh, so. they're great. It's not an ad. We're not getting paid to hawk them, but um, M&M Creamery were like in the beginning phase of my quarantine journey. We would order, me and my sister would order basically like a cheesecake every single week. And I'm pretty <laughs> cheesecaked out. And then we won three cheesecakes and that kind of sealed the deal. So I'm pretty good for now, but it's delicious. You should definitely get it if you haven't tried it and you're in the SoCal area. Yeah. It's sitting in my fridge ready for um, dessert time tonight. So after we record this, I'm going to go eat myself some cheesecake. I'm so happy for you. Uh, well, this week, uh, on this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club, we're talking about Lucky Grandma, written and directed by Sassy Seeley, uh, which premiered last year at the Tribeca Film Festival. 
um, and it's available now for VOD. But before we talk about Lucky Grandma, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through our week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? Um, apparently, everyone's boners. Pew, 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 pew. Because of the one and only piece of art that is WAP. <laughs> what's a WAP? Please explain. Oh, I, I, I didn't understand any of that. Oh, this is like talking to your parents. Uh, WAP is an acronym. So WAP is a song by... Megan the Stallion and Cardi B and they released a music video, wonderful music video along with it. And uh WAP is short for wet ass. Uh, how dirty can I be on this? It's explicit <laughs> already, so as dirty yeah. as you want to be. Oh, it says for wet ass pussy, guys, and it's great. <laughs> Cause not only is the song just a banger. The music video visuals are fantastic, but like all good pop culture things, it has created a firestorm of content around it. Like, um, like Twitter, there's like multiple references, multiple layers to the references already, and I think it hasn't even been out for a week. <laughs> it's gotten political, uh, you know. Ben Shapiro's in the mix. It's it's just everything <laughs> that. It's like the pop culture discourse you kind of want, but like isn't necessarily going to kill anybody, you know, like like it's not a debate about healthcare care, whether people deserve to live. Well, OK, so admittedly, popular music is one aspect of pop culture in which I don't have a lot of uh, engagement well, engagement in. Yeah, because these days, because they're Spotify, because I mostly listen to podcasts and my former life as an Asian American um, community arts organizer, most of my rotation are kind of independent Asian American artists. So I don't really listen to top 40 anymore. Yeah, I mean, Megan the Stallion, I was actually first introduced to her maybe six months before her first song popped off. Her first big song was Cash It. And I remember my boyfriend's younger sister, who's like like 19 or 20 at the time, was like blasting it in the car. And I just remember specifically saying, oh, this is so loud. I don't like it. Which was extremely, you know, I've never felt older in my life. Oh, but then like, you know, upon like further reflection and absorption of the music Megan the stallion is a wonderful i mean she is actually she's just a fantastic musician she's so charming uh and i'm glad she's kind of getting the shine you know between her savage remix with beyonce and this song with cardi b and her track with uh uh nikki they did the like uh hot girl summer together she Megan the Stallion is like two for two anthems of the summer. It's just really sad because there is nowhere to shake your ass this summer. <laughs> so I'm just like in my room, like grinding up on my dog, and he is so displeased. I mean, everyone is dancing on TikTok, aren't they? Oh, I refuse to uh, cement my dance moves in a <laughs> semi permanent forum. I'm, Mama raised me smarter than that. So, uh, but you guys should watch the music video. I literally like. It's so hot. I literally like blacked out <laughs> for three minutes. I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm definitely not 100% straight. <laughs> I don't think anyone is, to be fair. But like yeah. definitely me, not 100% yeah. straight. You're you're more in touch with that side uh, than maybe other people are. But yeah, I, I look forward to checking it out along with uh, Taylor Swift's album, which I still haven't checked out. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't listened yeah, to that It's either. great. And I, I love the balance. I love the karmatic balance of Taylor Swift <laughs> folklore essentially be, being like 
kicked out by like wet ass pussy you so, know it's yeah. like the duality of man so between it's the, the two who's in the lead right now for song of the summer summer jam 2020 oh 100 percent wop 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 it's song of the summer folklore or like so one of the tracks folklore will be the song of like the autumn once things get cold but wop is the summer jam we need good but don't deserve well, I've been waiting for the summer song, so um, I- I'm glad it came uh, yeah. in the dog days. Oh, yes. And for, oh, speaking of dogs and <laughs> my mind jumped to cats, Carol Baskin is involved in this pop culture discourse because she's criticizing what? the use of big cats in the music video. Oh, and I saw her name just, come up recently. It's everything perfect and great and ridiculous about pop culture discourse. What's a very real always racist sexist undertones of some of the criticisms yay and that's really interesting but at the end of the day it's a it's a bop makes you shake your <laughs> wants to shake I'm your excited. ass uh and it, you know and it's 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 just celebrating you know the wet ass pussy you know once i get done tomorrow because i have a really long day tomorrow at work well which is when people are listening to this i will put that on please do <laughs> music video so yes. the music video on youtube is the censored version and then but, you have to listen to the uncensored version on spotify oh okay I'll maybe you could do some finagling and like sync them together but mm. basically like the youtube version is censored i can mute the youtube version and then just watch it that's too much work <laughs> well yeah i'll just do it separately yeah. well han what's popping with you much less sexy, um, but let's see. I watched um, AP Bio, and I've been catching up with that. So AP Bio, for those who don't know, because it was canceled, so a lot of you haven't watched it probably, um, is an NBC show comedy that had Glenn Howerton and Patton Oswalt and Paula Pell and a bunch of people, Mary Stone, and it's basically Patton Oswalt is a guy named Jack, and he's like, was at Harvard and he couldn't get back in or do something. He was a professor. And um, so the only thing he could do when his mom died was he moved back to her house. He didn't change anything. So it's like surrounded by doilies and pink stuff. And he wears her, like really bad cardigans, but they're awesome. And then um, when, and he has is forced to take a job as an AP bio teacher. He knows nothing about AP bio. He is a philosopher. And so what he does uh, all the first season is he wants to get revenge on the guy who took over his spot at Harvard. So he makes his students, AP students who want to learn, help him with his revenge schemes. And um, the second season evolves a little bit from that. And then those two seasons are on Peacock and they're on the free tier of Peacock. So you can actually watch it. (laughs) Yeah. But the third season is coming up uh, in early September. And I think that counts as an original because it's made especially for Peacock. So I think you might have to subscribe to get that season. But, you know, if you like it enough, then you consider it. But, um, yeah, I really, really like it. It's kind of like daffy and, you know, like delightfully like lunatic sort of things. Like he's not a good person, but he's definitely, you know, and not great but i love the the kids in the class because a lot of them are really nerdy but some of them are you know like 
oddballs and it's kind of like head of the class but like way cooler um and uh so i really really like it and i think by the third season they've kind of like found their footing as far as like their tone and it's just totally bizarre stuff that happens all the time yeah i remember when this show came out mm-hmm. it was a couple years ago right on, on yeah NBC. It's, it, yeah it's had two seasons under its belt yeah i feel like I mean, this is the promise of streaming, right? Which is like shows that have a strong following, but maybe not enough to carry like a network, you know, yes. time slot can live on on the streaming services because there are people who are willing to buy um, like at least a couple months at a time to watch said show. Um, I myself am amongst them because Peacock mm-hmm. recently announced that they're going to do, we'll probably talk about this in their news uh, roundup later this month, but they're bringing on um, Jade City, which is one of my favorite like books of the last few years. And so I'm definitely going to be paying that premium to watch that show when it comes out. They got you. They got although, me. Got you. They got although me. you're going to have to watch it on your computer um, and, unless somehow you, the Roku or Amazon Fire. I mean, um, it's probably not coming out until like 2022. Sure. So by then, yeah, surely Roku will have closed on the deal. I mean, if I really want to, I can get a very long <laughs> HDMI cord, but it's not the same. I know. But yeah, I'm really loving that. And then a really quick shout out. I read a book, um, a novel by um, Matthew Celeses called Disappear, Doppelganger, Disappear. And he wrote The Hundred Year Flood. And this is a really bizarre, absurdist. It feels like Twin Peaks to me. But basically, there's a guy named Matt Kim who uh, kind of just he's convinced that he's disappearing like people are ignoring him or bumping into him when he's out in the world um his cat died but he he keeps hearing the cat sort of meowing between the walls his family left him um and he you know drinks a lot and passes out and kind of loses time and then loses things in his house so his girlfriend her name is yumi thinks he's you know it's all in his head but all of a sudden yumi meets her own doppelganger named Sandra and Sandra happened to have dated a guy named Matt Chung who looks exactly like Matt Kim. So, and from there, like already that premise tells you just about like how weird it is, but yeah, it goes on, but it's also, it's funny and weird. And, but it's also like kind of serious. It's talking about, you know, Asian American identity and um, not being seen and there are people with, you know, red hats running around. And uh, there's a presidential candidate who's, you know, uh, backed by the KKK and all this other stuff. <laughs> cool, so, cool, yeah. Cool, cool. So compared it's, to like a Murakami, how like how weird is it? I mean, it's a, it's definitely in that world, but I, I it, it's totally weird. But um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was just weird. But I also like Twin Peaks. And so that's why I keep comparing it to that because it doesn't make a lot of sense. And there's a darkness to the the weirdness. Um, so, yeah. I mean, magical realism is definitely, especially like that kind of dark magical realism. It, mm-hmm. It's like the allure of like a, the first like two seasons of a J.J. Abrams or of a Lindelof <laughs> series. Right, where it's like, it's like, you, it only, like it's things only good if surface. you can stick the landing, right? <laughs> well, you guys have never watched Lost, uh, not Lost, um, uh, The Leftovers, right? Nope. Okay. So yeah, the deal is after loss, Damon Lindelof actually learned his lesson about sticking the landing. And so he was the one who helped, um, uh, what's his face from the good place. He was, Mike you know, Schur. They, 
Yeah, Mike sure asked him for advice. Like, hey, from the very beginning, like you created a weird puzzle show. What can you help me to tell me how to do this? And so they just said, first of all, you know, like know your ending, know where it's going, all this other stuff. And so that's why if you watch The Good Place, there are many references actually to Damon Lindelof um, and uh, his shows and stuff like that. So he's gotten yeah. better, let me just say. Now, whether or not you like the ending is a different story. Um, I did like The Leftovers as far as it was a very good show. I'm not obsessed with it like everyone else's. Um, and this is not to be mean to be a Damon Lindelof defense in general. Like I didn't love, you know, Watchmen, but he definitely had the ending he wanted on it. So, so based on those <laughs> metrics for this book, do you think did it offer a satisfying ending, or were you left feeling like mm-hmm. that's it? I. I found the ending fine, but it was also the, an ending that kind of fit with the whole book. So let me just that's tell good. you that. Like, I mean, that's yeah. all you can ask for, really. Yeah, Here's so my question. It, it might not be as satisfying as other people would want it to be. Yes. Have you ever met your own doppelganger? I never want to. However, I, I hear she's running around. Um, it's either that or everyone's racist and they, they think I look like someone else. Hmm. It's uh, a 50-50 actually on that one. So or, Yeah, early, very early on when I moved to L.A. and I was doing um, work as an extra, people kept saying, talking to me as, uh, as if they knew me. And it, they were like, well, yeah, we work together on they would name a show. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> never and so i was like oh great like i don't know but um it's happened a few times but yeah again i always assume that they just think i'm some other asian person well um, i feel like jess you have you have a different experience because you have a name doppelganger i have oh. several named doppelgangers i also <laughs> have a sister who apparently we i don't think we personally look alike but people say we vibe alike and we kind of like switched places so she like went off to school when I came back to L.A. to start working and I was gone and she was working. So like I just like to tell people we're actually one person and that that's why you never see us in the same room together. Yeah. And apparently from this from my sister, I apparently also have a stripper doppelganger in Las Vegas who I would love to meet and um, feel very inferior to. That you she look probably like has... you look like her or apparently yeah we look alike and we both have big glasses and big boobs and uh, she probably has much better upper body strength than you me. should totally do yeah. a Prince and the Popper like switcheroo. <gasps> Except she this? would be so good in my life and I would lose her so much money. <laughs> wait 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 can we write this? Oh yes definitely but I'm the just telling you and the podcaster too- the podcast. and. <laughs> The stripper would be wonderful as a podcaster, and the podcaster would be a terrible stripper. Let me tell you, I bought a Groupon for like three pole dancing classes when like that was the fitness trend. I went to one class, and I was so sore the next day, I just didn't go back to do the other two. <laughs> well, here's the, up. Uh, here's what I tell you. Two things. One, my yoga instructor, who can do anything, she's actually very athletic, she hurt herself in a strip class. To, uh, she dislocated her shoulder. So it's it's no joke. And she's a strong woman. Um, I, with no training whatsoever and not in a class setting, hurt myself very much on a stripper pole at one of my local karaoke joints. And I'm not going to tell you exactly how I hurt myself, but it's not, you know, for mixed company. Um, so 
uh, I thought I had harmed myself irreparably. <laughs> Let's just yeah. say. I kind of, I kind of want to see this doppelganger. Like, do you, do you ever just want to see like the, like the, like the most advanced version of yourself? Like the, I want to see like the super Saiyan version of myself. Well, who that- I feel it would be this stripper in Vegas. That's actually the funny thing because in this book the doppelganger of Matt Kim is like really souped up. Like he's respected. He's well liked. He's like, uh, like has a better job and all of that type. Of, uh, he does like volunteer work and yeah. then, you know, yeah. So yeah. basically, yes. I, I'm just saying if this were like a gently the one situation, I would not <laughs> end up being the one. Yeah. You'll be the one he kills in like the intro montage. Yeah. You'd like, the, like a split second montage. Like I'm not, I'm not even like the main part of the montage. Definitely. I understand my place. Um, <laughs> <But> Marvin, <laughs> yes. What's popping what, with what? you, Marvin? <laughs> well, um, as the summer of being indoors uh, rolls on, I have also continued my um, summer of anime, taking advantage of my um, trial premium subscription of Crunchyroll. So I've been watching a shit ton more of anime. Uh, but what in particular can you like name? <laughs> well, okay. So my uh, my my anime adventures have have taken me far and wide over the past week. Um, but I have two series that I want to highlight. The first is a recent series. Um, I think just came out this past season called Ascendance of the Bookworm. Um, it's mm. another one of those like someone from modern times gets killed by like X thing and gets transported into a, a, a new body and new world. In this series, it's a woman who fulfills her dream of becoming a librarian <laughs> to surround herself by books. And then she gets um, crushed by a bookshelf during an earthquake. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. No! This is like Twilight Zone. Oh right. my god! So um, I'm so sad. And so she wakes up in a fantasy European world um, as the second daughter of a family of commoners. Her mother is a seamstress. Her father is a soldier, and she becomes distressed because she finds out there are no books available to her in this um, world because the printing press has not been invented yet. Um, books very much are the property and domain of nobles and people with money. And so she um, decides that if she can't get her hands on any books, then she'll make her own. So the story follows her as she attempts to create um, paper or things to write on, starting with clay tablets and attempting like wooden scrolls and eventually making actual like plant-based paper, which is an innovation in the world because they've been using you know parchment made of animal skin. And in the process also starts making like DIY projects like um, hairpins for her sister's coming of age ceremony, um, handbags to help her carry things around in. And um, these items also start coming to the attention of the general public okay. because they've never been seen before in this world. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, she attracts the attention of merchants who uh, want to buy the rights to create these items from her. And the story quickly becomes one about entrepreneurship and the power of bootstrapping to improve your station in life. She starts becoming immersed in the world of the merchants of the land. Um, and there are whole episodes on, you know, things like manufacturing agreements, licensing agreements. And as someone who studied business before, it really, um, it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and that's not to say that the series um, doesn't have any action. Um this is a fantasy world that also contains magical creatures and um, magical powers. And Mine herself is um, someone with an abundance of magical powers despite being a commoner, which is actually a big plot point in the story. Um, it also attracts her the attention of a lot of people who want to use her for that power. Oh, yeah. And so um, 
I don't know. It was just a really fun story about someone with a single-minded ambition and her um, drive to pursue those. Um, but in the context of understanding that she needs to start a business, um, raise capital to you know fund these innovations that will eventually lead to her being able to create books. And um, it has a lot of heart. Um, the characters are great. The animation is also really good. I would recommend it to anyone who's looking for um, a fun anime to watch that's a little different than what um, they're used to. The series, again, is called uh, Ascendance of the Bookworm. Um, the first 24 episodes are available on Crunchyroll now. And a third season has been commissioned. So hopefully we'll be seeing that next year, um, COVID willing. Um, but that leads me to the second series that I've been digging my teeth into, which I found when looking at uh, reviews and recommendations for things similar to the shows I've been watching. This series is called Accomplishments of the Duke's Daughter. And it's actually a manga series that I've been reading because it hasn't been adapted into an anime yet. But it follows the same setup, only this time it's a Japanese um, accountant who dies in an accident and gets reborn in a Mm. new world. There seems to be a certain theme (laughs) in the things you're watching. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's become a trope. And definitely, um, it's, I mean, it's always been a trope in anime, you know, going to a a different world and messing around there. But I feel like recently, like, I want to say the majority of the new series that I've been seeing have all used this or a variation of this trope. Um, But this time it takes place in, like the series that I mentioned last week on What's Poppin', a world that's based on a in-fiction Otome dating sim. Um, in a once again, it's a um, fictional feudal European um, nation, um, but this time it's more mundane. There's no magic, and the main character is reincarnated into the body of the quote unquote villainess of the dating sim, um, right in the middle of the um, confrontation scene. And um, using her quick thinking, she gets out of you know the worst outcomes. And her father, the Duke, decides to send her back to their domain um, as the acting um, fief lord of their um, dukedom. Um, Similar to how Ascendance of the Bookworm is all about entrepreneurship and bootstrapping and the mechanisms of business, Accomplishments of the Duke's Daughter is all about kind of building uh, a self-sufficient state. So the main character uses her knowledge of modern accounting practices and civic infrastructure to start improving um, her domain by instituting things like banking system, uh, public works, industry, um, public education. And this is all in the backdrop of a succession crisis in the kingdom. And again, as someone who has studied business and has an interest in politics, and I'm also slowly getting into you know period dramas, this has become another series that has its hooks in me. Um, the manga is ongoing, but I've already found myself like looking up um, how to read the light novel that it's based on. Um, but yeah, if any of that sounds interesting to you, um, the first five volumes of the manga is now available on um, Comixology, which is another service that I've recently rebooted up for the first time in a while to to read the series. Okay. Um, I have a Comixology, so maybe I'll check it out. It is interesting that um, both of these series is kind of all about building capitalism, but in an optimistic type of way, like reading it kind of gives me hope that maybe this system can work somehow um, if you iron out the you know problem with greed. Um, but at the same time, uh, the accomplishments of the Duke's daughter um, 
it does touch on a little too much on like the noblesse oblige of it all. But I think it does a really good job of balancing that with the ideals of spreading capital and um, resources to improve the lives of the common citizens. I'm I'm wondering like what I would do for capitalism during that time, like something for hygiene. I think. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about um, both of these series is the protagonists in both invents shampoo and conditioner. Yes, I was about to say oh, I, yes. hygiene makes so hygiene. much more sense. Soap, and they yes. both use it to make boatloads of money. <laughs> I mean, I think I would somehow develop the uh, the tampon or feminine napkin, and mm. so they would like they would worship me like a god. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm glad that there are uh, shows and comics that are talking about this stuff because um, I guess I enjoy consuming them. It's the good pop that gets me through the day. Um, that's what's popping for us this week. Uh, when we come back, we're talking all about the Taishin film Lucky Grandma. Uh, so stick around, we'll be right back. We're still here and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. This week we're talking about Lucky Grandma, a film written by Angela Chang and Sassy Seely and directed by Sassy Seely. The film premiered at Tribeca last year um, and has just been released on VOD last month, um, starring Tsai Chin as a cranky grandmother, the titular Lucky Grandma, um, who finds herself um, embroiled in the Chinatown underground. When she accidentally, accidentally, unquote, uh, steals a bag of money that belongs to a gang. I mean, would you say it's like, it's gang yeah. money? Yeah. It's yeah. like one of the one of the tongs or one of the triads. Yeah, of... there, she stole it from an accountant who died who worked for one of those. Um, yeah. So what did you all think of Lucky Grandma? Okay, so I'm just first saying that the very beginning when the whole thing about her being lucky is because she got this fortune told that on October 28th, 28th, right? Um, that's going to be her lucky day. And so she goes, boards a bus and goes to Vegas and like gambles and like makes a big killing. So anyway, this kind of reminded me of my grandma who, uh, when I was living in Houston, at one point she went missing. And so all of like my aunts and uncles and my mom, um, were freaked out and trying to figure out where she was. And it wasn't until like later in the day that they found out that she took a bus with some friends and they went to Lake Charles, which is in Louisiana, to gamble. 
Um, and so I was just like, wow, uh, I've never been on a, a bus of a bunch of old Asians going to go gamble. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, because I always thought it was kind of neat that sort of independence that they had mm-hmm. because my, my grandma couldn't drive. Um, but she definitely had her people and she had her hobbies, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It, it's, it's her, the director's first fil- feature film, I believe, and it was just really well done. I mean, I think we've all seen a lot of, like, first feature films, especially, like, indie films, and not all of them are that great sometimes. Uh, but, you know, Sassy comes from commercials, and she's done TV, and a lot of, um, I think a lot of, maybe some music video work, but definitely a lot of like commercials and editorial work. So you could definitely see that experience. It's, it's a beautiful movie. Like everything's really beautiful production wise. And, but really the joy is really getting to center side chin in a role that she wasn't born to play this because she's an incredible actor who has had a really incredible career. But I think in the pop culture mainstream, she's known as like, the mom, the grandma, you know, from Joy Luck Club onwards. And she's always been like the really great flavoring side character, the character actor. But to like center a whole movie around a cranky, cantankerous Chinese grandma is both like a little ridiculous in terms of like where the story goes. And also just think about shooting it when your lead, your number one on your call sheet is like a 70 something year old woman. And, you know, but. I mean, they pulled it off and like she's in every single shot, right? There's no movie without her. And some of them is some of the scenes are just silent and it's just her reacting to things. And it's so funny. (laughs) I mean, that's why it actually works is because she has like that expressive face and like even just the way she stands, like tells a story. So if like I'm not saying anyone else couldn't have done it, but it definitely was successful because of her. Yeah, and I definitely think it shows a different side of the grandma character, right? I feel like white <laughs> grandmas are always, it's either you're really nice or you're actually like the serial killer who killed the real grandma, stuffed her in the basement, and now is like going to kill the kids. But okay. like the Asian grandma, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have, I'm very lucky. I grew up with both my Asian grandmas, my both my Chinese grandmas, and I definitely have a very, I have a cantankerous very independent Chinese grandma who like in her 90s refuses help like going to the grocery store refuses to wear a hearing aid Mm -hmm. you know and still is taking care of herself and uh, grandpa Uh, so it's just really really it felt like going home in a weird way even though (laughs) I I, I don't live in Chinatown Um, that's not my grandma but it's definitely a character that we all are familiar with in our communities and then to hype up or to exaggerate the situation that raised the stakes to this level uh i really really enjoyed the film the yeah, yeah the give no fucks of it was definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed it as well it's um it wasn't i don't know what i was expecting um but it turned out to be quite funny it was it's like a comedy crime thriller in which it's like the situation is like the main character finds herself in um, grandma wong is totally ridiculous i mean it's kind of like quincy and like these are a lot of people 
who have no business being in the criminal situation in criminal situations and making like the worst possible decisions like every step of the way. Um, and it starts with this grandma who believes she's going to be really lucky. So what does she do with that news? Go to the casinos, right? Go to Atlantic City, I'm assuming. It was, I think it was Vegas. I looked up the, uh, the freeways that she was telling the bus driver to take. There's no um, way that was based Vegas. In, they're based in New yeah, York, though. Yeah, they're in New oh, York. Oh, okay. Well, then Atlantic City. So definitely <laughs> would be like Mohegan Sun or like Atlantic City yeah. or something like that. I actually haven't. It's been a while since I've taken the Chinatown bus, but I do remember because that's the cheapest way to get to. I've never taken a Chinatown bus oh. either. I know. Oh, no. I feel like once, once on the East Coast, and I think like a year or two after they got shut down by like the Department <laughs> of Transportation or like the Labor Department because they yeah. had so many violations. I mean, they're cutting costs everywhere because, you know, you gotta you make know, that money, you know man. People. Um, uh, I mean, you, have you taken like Bolt Bus or Mega Bus? I have it's definitely taken concept. Bolt Bus. Yes. Um, you know, I've I've taken it a few times to Vegas just because it was, oh. it's not even longer. It, it's longer than driving, obviously, but like but sometimes you, don't you just drive. don't want to drive. Yeah, you don't want to <laughs> drive. Uh, definitely always an interesting cast of characters on the bus. Um, and uh, it's good people watching. It's not that, I, I enjoy it. I think those coach buses are actually really comfortable. I can like fall asleep on them fairly easily but yeah i think we all are like like i don't know if like not asian or non-chinese people know like that this whole like your grandparents are taking a senior bus to the casino mm -hmm. like on the weekends or daily because they're retired like is a very regular thing yeah i mean my my parents first trip to vegas was one of these like it was Bus full of Chinese people <laughs> going up to yeah. Vegas to like, you know, gamble. I'm sure the bus company is getting some kickback on all the casinos they stop at. But when you're fresh in this country and you want to, you know, take a weekend off, it's it's what you do, right? And also I'm sure everyone may be aware, like gambling addiction is a huge issue in our community. Like, yeah, I was oh, just gonna ask yeah. why why are we such big gamblers? Not we. I, I personally don't gamble. If I'm gonna waste my money, well, I'm gonna buy myself like a bag or something. But I think I think this movie is a prime example of it because we believe in the concept of luck and the concept of predicting luck. Right? Yeah. Like we yeah. do things like wear red, bet on eight, it's you know, go to fortune yeah. tellers, look at it's, zodiac signs. It's something that I think is interesting because it's like I don't believe in a lot of like luck and superstitions and that type of stuff. So like I think about like, you know, how people like how athletes, you know, have to like wear their the right socks or the whatever for luck. But then I think about my family and I'm just like, oh, my God, like the how much they pay fortune tellers, how much they like ask like real like big questions. I, like my dad, who is like such an intellectual um I remember kept saying like, oh, don't worry. Um, I asked my fortune teller and he said, you're going to be married within the year. And I'm just like, kept my, <laughs> I was like, I kept my mouth shut because also I was like, he was like, you know, in the last years of his life. And so I just looked at my mom later and I was just like, even if I met someone today, I would not marry them in the year. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just like I but it's true. They all everyone. Well. And I mean, going back to like the whole class divide thing, right? Like, I feel like luck is like the the domain of the poor. Mm, yeah, because I mean, we're, we're the ones who have. have to believe that like 
oh, we need something miraculous to happen for us to get out of this shit that we're in. We can't rely on accumulated family wealth to like get us through our days, right? I and- mean, oh, yeah. how many of us have gotten scratchers as a gift? If we don't <laughs> believe in luck, what is that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and I feel like most of our families come from like, well, at least I don't want to speak for the two of you, but come from working class backgrounds where like, you know, our family going back generations weren't, you know, landowners. No, or... you know what I just learned from talking, you know, I've been quarantined with my parents. I just learned that three out of four great grandmas. So you have you have eight great grandparents, mm-hmm. right? Four <laughs> men, four women. Three of my four great grandmas had bound feet. Yeah. It, we it, were it, rich. You you don't have to actually go far back to find them. Um I, I think I mentioned that like my grandmother had an arranged marriage. So right before that, I think um my whatever it is, my grandfather, they they did have land and they had servants and all this other stuff. And then my father was a super well, he was the eldest of they called them Mandarins, I think. And so he was whatever it was super privileged those and were the court officials right yeah so super yeah. privileged and um basically that's why he didn't know how to do anything practical mm. um in america so. i mean that's why that's also haha that's also why we pay such a big premium on education because back in the day mm. education was one one of the ways you got lifted out of your circumstance yes, because exactly. if you took your test and you became a court official then you get to live in like you know in a state or something or yeah, but then yeah at the same time at the hub at the same time <laughs> um who gets the tutors right who gets the who gets the fancy tutors that you know give you the answers or teach you how to take these tests yeah i mean it's people. still relevant yeah. today right like that you're just describing the sats to me so yeah. it's just not as futile sort of yeah. i guess there's I'll no nobility say, apparently yeah. grandma like when she got married she came with us servant girl mm-hmm. which like i think is a euphemism for like a slave <laughs> yeah it, it probably it was her lady in waiting sort of ish person pretty much and like so basically she came with like my great grandma and like served her until like the money was got like the power of the money dissolved because communism <laughs> yeah. but uh so it's yeah it's wild but maybe that's why we need luck we're like you know you're so there's so little control over you you know and within a few generations you go from landowners to like abject poverty back to like middle class to working class to like it's it's the hope you gotta have that hope that things will work out for you because you are special Mm -hmm. you got that fortune that said you're gonna be lucky you wear the red underwear Mm -hmm. and then not realizing that hey even in casinos even in games of chance the game is also rigged which is funny because the stere- if the stereotype of the Asians are good at math are true, you, you would think we realize that, you know, statistically, <laughs> probability that we're, the house always wins. The, I'm, I'm thinking the ones who are really good at math either game the system or don't gamble. I'm hoping that's what it is. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't gamble. It, it was very stressful for me to watch those. Scenes. Oh, I'm, I'm just a bad gambler because I'm too, yes. too comp. I, I do. I think I am special and I'm too confident in my abilities <laughs> of luck. So, um, I, I'm, typically- I have <laughs> my strategy when I go to Vegas. I don't really gamble, but I do like set aside maybe like twenty dollars. 
And I find the most racist slot machine I can find. <laughs> and I believe that the universe karmatically owes me some money back for it. It like works 50-50. One time I won like 60 bucks from like a machine called like Peony Goddess. And it had like the oh, really dear. like oriental lady oh, on the head, it. And, um, the headwear oh, and definitely with a headband. You know, anything with like pandas or dragons, you can get, try to give it a go. But uh, anything with the word oriental, definitely. <laughs> uh, so that's my theory. Absolutely no scientific data to back it the, up. The but. just you uh, theory of racial reckoning. Yeah, that's how reparations are going to happen for for Asian people. You go to Vegas, you find the most racist slot machine and you play <laughs> you, it. You need to just go on your lucky day. Find out when that is. No, no, that's the trap. That's the whole point <laughs> of this then, movie. Is it's a trap. And, yeah. And then Did so we learn just, nothing from this movie? Huh? You've just been wasting your money on just like regular days. Oh <laughs> shit. But like uh, what if my lucky days fall on a weekday all the time? I can't go on the weekday. Then you quit your job because it's your day. That's how yeah. this thing works. You take thing out works. all your savings and maybe you'll win some rice. Um and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's like that's the crux of this whole movie, is like mm-hmm. this fortune of good fortune leads her to take this Chinatown bus to the casino. And at first it looks like it's working. And she's yeah. making shit tons of money on these really bad bets on the same number three times in a row on roulette. Were you, were you crazy? Yeah, what the hell? After you, um, like... <laughs> yeah. Her her blackjack also just keeps on doubling down and doubling down. Like, her, her, her chips got to a color that I didn't recognize. Like, what the monetary <laughs> value was. So I was just like, oh. And then she no. loses it all. She kept playing past midnight. So it was no longer mm-hmm. her lucky her day. day. Oh. Yeah. So keep it's like Cinderella, <laughs> but sad. And I feel like her watching Grandma Wong, Taichin's character, go through this entire movie made me kind of like I felt really bad for her. I was also super annoyed of her because she was making all these dumb like all these really bad decisions um based on pride or whatever right but to me it's like she's like the end result of like a lifetime of hardship right like someone who believe that by putting your head down and working hard you will get some sort of like you know some reprieve towards the end and the sad part is the only way she can measure the value of her life was through how much money she has right which is very I don't want to say Asian, like very Chinese thing, I feel like. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, if uh Ronnie Chang, if I believe whatever he said in his special, that's true. <laughs> um, uh, since you know the whole New Year thing. I mean, it really is all about fortune. Like, yes, yes, they'll say something about long life, but it's always about money. And that's right, like you give money. And 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 it's kind of heartbreaking because I think you brought this up at some point, Marvin, or Will or something, but like she has other riches. She just isn't seeing them yeah and so like when this opportunity lands in her lap where the obvious mobster or gangster sitting next to her on the bus just has a heart attack and dies in the middle of their trip back and leaves behind a satchel full of obviously dirty money (laughs) she sees it as oh my luck has come back i must grab it like to me i feel like she thought this is her luck coming back right not like oh I, i need to Take this. Or or maybe that she misunderstood what her luck was. And this is the thing that she's <laughs> supposed to have. Um, whatever she, it is, she thinks their universe owes her. Yeah. I, I actually saw it a little differently because basically she's her family, her son, who's very Americanized and, you know, has grandkids. 
is basically saying that he wants her to move in with his mm-hmm. family so they can take care of her and they can't really upkeep the apartment. She's lost her husband as a widow. And I think I actually saw it as a, a very subtle, different way of a different narrative of a woman like losing her agency. I mean, we talk a lot about representation and I think we talk a lot about it from a racial point of view or a gender point of view. Uh, but age is something I don't think we see a lot in any movie, let alone an older person of color, let alone an older Asian woman. Um, and I always saw it as a part of it is like she she's losing her agency because she, she doesn't want to move. She doesn't want to be like, you know, she she's pretty happy with her life. But also there's like this undercurrent of you know gentrification in Chinatown and she's not going to be able to afford to stay there. Um, and it's just kind of she's moving not on her own terms. Uh, and I think and I always read it as this is not what she wanted her life to be. So she might have a, you know, happy, you know, a loving son who's willing to take her in and offer stability. But like, I don't think she wanted that. I think she wanted more for herself. And it's come to this. And now it's like the move is the final like it's like you're moving back. And it's like the final step. Right. Once you step into his house and you move in with him, you're never going back out. Well, um, I could, I definitely could say like, that's something, an issue my mom has. Um, when, even when she was living in the house that my brother got her, so she didn't have to share with anyone. First it was with my dad, but then when he died, like she just had the house to herself. Um, she, she was always just kind of like annoyed if my brother wanted her to keep it clean, you know? And she was just like, ah, you know, I just, she's just like my landlord, you know? And so like, I've always tried to figure out like when she, like right now she lives in an apartment by herself and she pays it, you know, on her own. Um, and all this other stuff where like, but at some point she's going to need someone around. And so we've all been trying to figure this out. Like, do I get something with an ADU in the background so that like she can have her independence but I'm right around the corner to help her. But yeah, my mom is super independent. Um, the thing is, though, she also gets Social Security. And mm. it, it appears that Grandma Wong was expecting her husband to have left her money. Um, yeah. but, so she doesn't have her own money source. And that's, you know, and I get that as far as like, she might not have had a job. So yeah, like my mom had jobs her whole life and stuff like that. Or, she was the one. Or you who, have a you have a Chinatown job and it's paid under the table, <laughs> so you don't she, pay. You don't get social security for that. You know what? I do have to say the thing about like what I like appreciate about like grandmas, like not only her being kind of badass in ways, but just like the the self sufficiency that I because she seeks out protection. But she knows the code to be able to speak to the people in the back to get that protection. It's like she wants a, a a Louis Vuitton, you know, purse, and they don't have that because that's code for you know, let's talk to the gang in the back. Um, oh, so, grandma knows, yeah. and and, yeah. <laughs> and grandma is. I I love how midway through, you know, she hires protection in the form of Big Pong, <laughs> who is as Marv, Marvin. How did you describe him? He's a he's a very soft boy. He's a, he's a soft, soft boy, boy, but he's like six foot, like five, and he's like, <laughs> like, like, like three hundred pounds or something, and is a is is her body. She hires him to be his bodyguard, and it, well, I mean, he's also the discount bodyguard, right? Because she wanted like yes. the big dude, but she's only willing to pay two thousand. Well, I mean, first of all, 
as expected, an amazing haggler, right? <laughs> you know, he first says 8,000. She's like, no, I can't do more than 5,000 because, you know, obviously I just have all these medications I can take. Maybe I'll take less so I can afford your 5,000. And then when he's like, she's like, I want that guy. He's like, no, 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 no. That, that guy is like too good. So it's like, well, if you're going to give me a discount one, then I want 2,000. Um, so I wonder, was Big Pong 2,000 or was he less? <laughs> they didn't They didn't show that less. <laughs> I mean, you never know. But yeah, and I really like Big Pong. He's great. I He's love probably Big my Pong. favorite character in this movie. I, like, I don't know this actor, but he was really good. And uh, also, I mean, I just like the, the touches like he's a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, like probably Buddhist, you know, a little bit. Developing yeah. an app with his yeah, sister. Yeah. Um, they're both from Jiangsu province, which is... Yeah, which Please is pretty close me. to where um, where my family's from and Jess's family. I don't know anything hey. about it. <laughs> um, but okay, here's here's the thing. They're both supposedly from Jiangsu. Big Pong obviously has a Taiwanese accent. Oh, and that's kind of the thing in this film because I understand Chinese. It was, um, I mean, it wasn't a big thing to get over, but it did show that yeah, this is probably a this is an Asian American indie movie right because you couldn't get the consistency of people playing who they're supposed to play right that in terms of that kind of representation I, it wasn't yeah. a deal breaker but it, it took you out of it a little bit it's just ironic because you know like we said our families are from Zhang, like around that area that the character's from but my family actually we speak more with a Taiwanese accent because my mom watched so many dramas <laughs> she shifted her accent and we were watching them growing up so like my sister picked up the accent and then like the very limited Chinese, I like I definitely sound more Taiwanese than I sound like mainland. It's cuter. It's cuter. Well, it's I mean, cuter. it is the cute. It is, it it's is a the cute most. accent. I'm going to have to go- have you guys like walk me through the accents, like using the same phrase or something like that so I can tell the difference. But I don't know <laughs> if I can. Like, yeah, I, 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 of course, know no Chinese, no nothing. So like. I'm just like, I'm reading the subtitles. If it sounds kind of sing-songy, mm-hmm. it's probably more Taiwanese. If mm-hmm. it sounds like you're being punched in the face, um, that's probably more mainland. If it ends okay. in a hard R, it's more mainland. The closer you are, to, <laughs> you're going to Beijing. Yeah. Mm. Um, Interesting. Taiwanese Mandarin has more of a like, up talk to it, kind of like a oh, okay. California mm-hmm. accent. Yeah, It's cute. It's very cute. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like i always like the only things i know are of course you know like the vietnamese dialects and i've had such a mix in my life that it's kind of tough to figure out mm. <sighs> anyway yeah um, so one of the things i really liked about um looking grandma was the depiction of like grandma life right you yes got, you got grandma fashion you got grandma life which is mornings at the pool hanging in the sauna getting your hair done and that's something i remember my grandma every week had a hair appointment at the salon to get her perm done and that's grandma life to me. And I think um, I think this movie had a really good depiction. Like it knew what it was doing in terms of like, this is what Chinese grandmas do. The fashions were just so on point. It was like, mwah. Um, you put one... that on like a skinny white girl, you could charge like $700 for it's, that. It's, it's, it's the whole Asian hipster grandma thing, you know? Like, um, but like also there's one scene where she's wearing like, you know, a flowered blouse and then like a maroon sweater vest over. It. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so on point. Like I think we all have had grandmas with that sort of combo. Yeah. But it's really funny because I'm pretty sure Sai Chin would never be caught dead wearing that <laughs> shit in real life. She's a very classy British 
lady um you know and i was just like i think she was like talked about like she's like this is like not how i look in real life <laughs> yeah, uh, i mean but yeah not as glam <laughs> the per- i think her apartment is wonderful i i mm. love like accurate like i used to get yes. excited when i saw like an accurate rice cooker in the back mm-hmm. of sets um and this whole apartment down to you know the the date on the the, the, the calendar calendar <laughs> yeah and, like the margaret the market calendar the, of yeah amazing the yeah. random like plastic basins just <laughs> around um yeah the set dressing was perfect um everything just kind of randomly just being shoved against the wall you know there's the, the type that type of decoration yeah and i really enjoyed seeing all the depictions of like abc's playing abc's too like the bank teller at the bank where she goes to withdraw her her savings <laughs> uh, her son like i think a lot of them were believable um the grandkids less so i don't know how i feel about the child actors in this movie um but they were there I mean, child actors are always hit or miss. The let's be real. Although, gave me one of my favorite scenes where her grandson David and his friend Nomi have a dance, and aren't they dancing to Yellow Ranger? Yeah, by Aquafina. Yeah, so it was just the grandson's friend was like immediately sus to me. I was like, I don't trust this. I don't (laughs) trust this girl. But nothing happened. See, Um, but I just felt like that was very real. Was it wasn't it didn't have to be like tiktok or anything like that but it's like yeah that generation is going to just randomly be making some videos and i think they ended up being called like slavic wong or something oh uh, that's actually a fantastic <laughs> band name yes yeah, so I, I appreciated that that was very it felt very true to me and speaking of like um acting chops i, I, I did feel like the um i don't know something about the two like main gangsters that harass Titan's character or just like they were just out up to 11 where like I think they were supposed to be menacing but they just felt like bumbling well, uh, to me I think they were supposed to be bumbling too yeah yeah, yeah I don't think they're oh. good gangsters no they're supposed to be bad gangsters so like B- bad, bad at their job yes yes, <laughs> yes to clarify <laughs> uh, but I can I see I can I can see your comment there like they they're maybe in a different movie then like side chin yeah. and big pong are grandma wong and pong are and even like the other mob boss the the lady um sister sister fong right or i think so she had the the yeah. eyeliner wing oh she was great i can believe her as like the the matriarch of like a crime family <laughs> um but overall i think it's 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 a pretty fun movie right like it moves pretty quickly yeah i yeah. it's an indie that doesn't feel like an indie which for t- from me, I think is a compliment. I don't <laughs> typically like indies, you know, the slow yeah. like slice of life. Like I get so bored and I just want to like rip my eyes out. <laughs> so it's it's such it's such a tight you know little movie. Um, I just love the fact that it's it's a it's a movie about Chinatown, the pros and the cons all together. But done by someone who I think really understands it and what Chinatown means to yeah. a Chinese community, an aging Chinese community. And it's not like this. Nef- I mean, there's some like some crime in it. You know, it's a crime thriller, but it's not like this nefarious, seedy, like racist oriental like neighborhood like we've typically have seen. I mean, there's literally an entire movie called Chinatown 
<laughs> and the most famous line is like, forget it. It's Chinatown, like encompassing how like it's all just corrupt and terrible and evil. Like that's the mainstream narrative, right? Of Chinatown. And every every single procedural drama that's on air for more than three seasons will have the ver- the Chinatown episode that will involve prostitution and gangs and you know like delivery boys or men and it's all told through a very like white western condescending lens <laughs> so i i think she, this is not it that's this is like the opposite of that right like i think she's taking a lot of care to like paint a more holistic picture and i know that when the movie came out um you know like chinatowns around the country have been really struggling with COVID-19 and both from a business economic standpoint and like a racist standpoint. So I think they they made an effort to like raise some money to help support some of these Chinatowns around the country. Yeah. Which is definitely. very cool. And I mean, at the end of the day, the reasons why these two gangs are mad at Grandma Wong is pretty simple. She stole her money. Like she stole if there's her any, money. If there's any lesson to be learned from this movie, it's don't um, take a bag. Don't take mysterious bags of money from dead neighbors. I mean, here's the thing. I I think like this fits. Like I know you were saying like a lot of indie films are really slow and whatever, but it's like honestly they range, and that's that's what I love about this film is it's a good example of the a different kind of indie film, and there are a lot of them out there. You just have to give them a chance, but it's also like maybe you can wait until people watch them so you don't have to. <laughs> you know give the chance to every single indie film but i mean so i i mean it was i just felt it was so charming and funny and yeah uh, like unexpected i i like that um because for a long time asian american indie films have been about one thing mostly and it's like mm, that's true look how different we are from our parents or from our grandparents look how stereotypical or how, look how this is the like, struggle. Asian parents oh my do god, this. we immigrated, and it's so hard. Yeah. And yeah. You no, know, this film a is a genre film, which I think I I would love to see more like yes. Asian American directors, filmmakers do genre stuff because there's so much interesting things you can do with it. But also centers around like a grandma, right? And not your typical like maternal like matron of family, but like um, this lady who like loves her family sure but also wants nothing to do with them most days um. love it oh man you just you just encapsulated an asian grandma to a t <laughs> it was really great to see like tai chin kind of lead this film and she definitely leads it like she she like oh definitely like she was acting circles around everyone yeah in that movie the the part like it, i think it's just really truly knowing your it's not even the audience but knowing your subject so well the the dialogue her dialogue just made me so happy um and especially at the end when like she checks out the bedroom that her uh, grands uh, her grandson her son has set up and it's like hey see isn't isn't, isn't this nice don't you want to move in and there's like a buddha set that set up there and she explains why you don't have it in the bedroom. And oh, why is that? Believe me, <laughs> even if that wasn't there, she would have found something to complain about in that room. <laughs> so, yeah, last question to all of you. Uh, do we want this? Is this something you want to see more of? Yes, I would love to see more from Sacy, just as a director filmmaker. I always want to see more Sai Chin in person or on film. Uh, 
it is it is really a shame that you know act all actors of a certain age kind of get relegated to the sidelines when in theory they are the best at acting because they have been doing <laughs> mm-hmm. it the longest um and especially like a certain class of actors who never even got a chance to lead when they were younger you know actors of color from a, from from a few decades ago um we, i want we want that we want more indie films like you know we want just more generally indie films that tell different stories and i want more genre films starring you know unexpected central characters i'm still waiting for my asian western well you're watching warrior aren't you a movie movie okay i like i like a little more gunslinging like i want like the the white hat coming in and well wait until episode five anyway um I have to agree with all of that assessment. And I, what I really love about this uh, older actor um, in the story is it's not the typical story of having senior citizens all together doing one last whatever it is or any of those cliched um, topics. Like their, their role in the movie is being old. And, and here it's not. It's about her like and luck. And dealing with the crime syndicate. <laughs> and, you know, there is loss. Um, she is mourning her her husband. But at the same time, that that's only one part of a bigger whole. Um, so I really, really, really enjoyed her character. And based on the strength of this movie, I will watch whatever Sissy yeah. makes. And you yeah. know, like, low-key, she's like, I don't know if she's more grieving the husband or just, like, fucking pissed that he left her with nothing. <laughs> My guess is kind of the, probably the second. Chinese women are pragmatic as fuck. You don't survive like four regime changes in your lifetime and all that shit if you soft. So <laughs> she's the ultimate gangster in this movie. Yeah, I have to say, um, even with my my critiques, I, I did enjoy this movie and I do want to see more from Sassy, from Tsai Chin, um, definitely more from I think his name's Corey Ha, the guy who plays Big Pong. Uh, um he's just such has such good energy. He really does, and he doesn't say a lot either. So he's yeah. a really good actor. Yeah. Um, so the film again is Lucky Grandma. It's available now on VOD. Um, so if you have some time, uh, you should go grab it. I think it's like half the price of Mulan. So um, you can oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely uh, affordable. Less away. Like, hey. I, 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 I think a tenth or a, or like an eighth. <laughs> anyway, um, burned yeah. by Marvin. Yeah. Um, I did. I did remember that this film actually did win the. Um, I think it was the AT and T Untold Stories Award. Yeah. So it was offered a grant of one million, which is still pretty low in terms of like mm-hmm. independent filmmaking. But yeah, I mean that's how it got its premiere at Tribeca. The same award this year was supposed to go to a film called Marvelous in the Black Hole, mm. which is a film that stars uh, Mia Check and uh, Rhea Perlman. Um, and Aww. I actually got to see a screener of that. And it was pretty good too. So mm. I can't wait to for that to come out as well. Um, but yeah, I guess on that note, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, thank you once again to my co-host Han and Jess for discussing Lucky Grandma with me. Thanks for having us, Marvin. If people want to find more of your thoughts online, where can they go? You can find me at Jess Jew Tweets on Twitter. And you can follow me at Hanonymous, and I'm not going to spell it this time. <laughs> You can follow me at Marvin Yeah. You can follow the show at Good Pop Club and listen and subscribe to um, the podcast by going to goodpop.club. Um, we are a member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, which is a collective Asian-American hosted podcast. Check out more from our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. 
that'll do it for this week um keep watching all the good pop and we'll see you next time thanks for listening everyone Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada's a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 